0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark.
1: Glory to you, Lord Christ.
0: They went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. In three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down called the twelve and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord
1: In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God, Amen. I'm surprised how a particular story we hear sticks with us sometimes so much more than others. I I can never remember jokes. They go in one ear and out the other. And that's so true with so many stories, I think, that we hear told to us. But there's one that I heard when I was a teenager that I will never forget. I was in the high school band. And I remember uh, every spring had, I had to endure playing tuba while we were playing Sir Edward Elgar's pomp and circumstance. <laughs> I don't like pomp and circumstance, but one of the benefits of that was being able to hear all of these different graduation speakers. And we were fortunate that most of them had a wonderful sense of humor. But there was one that spoke at one particular graduation. I don't know who he was. But I remember the story he told. He talked about a time when he had gone to a special conference, a a large conference at which a Nobel laureate was going to be the keynote speaker. And he said that before he had gone into that great hall to find his place, he thought he should first stop by the men's room. And so he did. And as he stood at the uh, at the wash basins, washing his hands, he noticed out of the corner of his eye that there was someone over around the wastebasket who was picking up the pieces of towel paper towel that had been dropped uh, carelessly as people were rushing out of the bathroom. And he noticed that it was odd because the man seemed to be so well dressed. It just seemed out of place. Well, anyway, he was in a hurry, so he didn't pay a lot of attention. He finally found a spot in the great hall and he looked up and as he did, he saw the same man who had been picking up the paper in the restroom was the man who was going to be the keynote speaker, the Nobel laureate. I have never forgotten that story. It almost haunts me. I go into a men's room. (laughs) You get it. And sometimes I actually do it. The thing that's so important about it, I think, is that this Nobel laureate, who was an honored person, did not have to stoop to pick up after other people's trash, but he did. He didn't meditate on it. He didn't reflect on it. Think about, oh, how awful it is that people don't aren't more careful. He simply stooped down, picked it up and put it away. That to me is the image of a faithful servant. And that is the kind of servant that we are all called to be by Jesus. Now, I struggle with that, and I may not be alone. If we listen to those scriptures that we heard this morning, we hear that same kind of struggle struggle going on with people for millennia. And I think it's especially hard for us because the idea of servanthood has been so caught up with domination and especially with domination. I think of women and domination of certain races and of ethnic peoples. So it's hard for us to hold on to that term and to see it as a good thing for us. Well, I think the gospel this morning puts a particularly sharp point On this particular subject, that reading we just heard from Mark in this account, we hear about the disciples having been on the way and they were arguing about who is the greatest among them. It reminded me of some clergy conferences I had been at. (laughs) What is your average Sunday attendance? I'm just curious. uh, How's the pledge campaign going? (laughs) Did you make your goal last year? It happens all the time, and it's not just for clergy. It happens in all walks of life. We're always looking for ways to find out how we are in relation to one another. Who? How else can one explain these incredible salaries that are uh, are paid to CEOs of large corporations, except to say that money is a way of kind of keeping score? We like to keep score. We want to know who's on top, who's doing it the best. So we know where we stand with everyone. Well, they get to the house and who knows whose house it was. But when they get to the house, Jesus says to them, what were you arguing about on the way? And they fall silent. Of course, they know exactly what he's thinking and they know exactly what they did. They know that they fell short of his expectations One of the things that I find so hard to understand, and at the same time, somewhat encouraging, I think, in my own Christian walk, is that these people were with Jesus day in and day out, and they heard him teach, and they saw him heal, and they struggled with their faith just like I struggle with my faith. They still struggled with the idea of servanthood. They still wanted to know who would be first, who stands out. And then Jesus does something that is startling. We might not think it's startling, but it was. He brings a child to him, apparently. First, it says he sets the child in their midst. And then he embraces the child. And he says to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And not just me, but the one who sent me. Now, the thing that's startling about that. Is that in that time, children were invisible. They essentially had no standing. And it's as though Jesus is saying, I identify with this person that you don't even see. I pray that children are never invisible in this congregation. That we can always see Christ in the face of a child. And Jesus, I think, made it absolutely clear to his disciples, I am as this child and I just want to be received by you. Here I am, your master, and you argue about who is most important and I just want to be received by you. And he says that to us today as well. He simply wants to be received. And the truth is that that's all we want. We simply want to be received over and over again in scripture. If you cut away all of the things that we might pile up as orthodoxy or we might pile up as the rules for living the faith. We find that again and again and again, Jesus seems to be saying it's all about relationship. It's all about being in community. It's about being with one another and caring for one another and not caring so much about yourself. Well, one can imagine that the disciples were stunned when this happened. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He says, if any of you would be first, you must be last of all. You must be servant of all. When we hear this idea of being servant, I think. Our minds go one of two ways. We either discount it, reject it entirely because of the reminder that it gives us of oppression and of that kind of subservient attitude that we think is a part of it. Or the other way is to say it's of no account. It's just another one of those idealistic things that Tony talks about and a whole bunch of other preachers and we hear about it once in a while in scripture. Just forget it. It doesn't much apply to everyday life. The truth is that servanthood is what it is all about. And I think it helps us to understand how we might see it a little bit differently if we realize that the word used for servant can also be translated to be bound to a master. So when we're invited to be a servant of God, a servant of the master, we're really being invited to be bound to the master, which I think is much different. It means that we are with the master all the time. We're there trying to understand what does the master want? What direction would the master want me to go? How can I follow the master better? It's, the, it's a joyful servant, not a servant who is simply, simply doing that out of obligation. When God calls us to be a servant, God calls us to be bound to God. And when that happens, God becomes the reference point in our lives and no longer are we at the center, but rather God is at the center. I think I've talked before about in Native American communities, how people tend to sit in a circle as opposed to sitting in rows like we do so often on Sunday morning. And the wonderful thing about sitting in the circle is that you can see everybody who's there. So we we know we're all together. And the other thing that's happened in Native American Christian communities is that they have a sense that in the center of the circle is Christ. And when I look across that circle, I look first at Christ and then I see you. Christ at the center, the reference point for all. And I think that that's the way it's supposed to be for the servant with God and the master as the reference point for all. I sometimes think that the real test of our faith is not those times of crisis in our lives when we when our faith we know is truly shaken. But the real test of our faith is how we live out our lives as servants as being bound to the master day in and day out in the little things that happen in life. Not unlike that Nobel laureate seeing the need for somebody to clean up that. Bathroom around that wastebasket and doing it. Interrupting the plans that we have made and making a difference in that moment. And it might be something as simple as that. It may be something as important as being present with someone who is going through a crisis and making a difference in another person's life. But it is moment by moment by moment that we live our faith. Not in those huge moments. That seems so overwhelming and every day we must ask ourselves am I close to the one to whom I am bound is my reference point God is my reference point the master we live out our servanthood in so many ways. And one of the ways we live it out is in our stewardship as stewards. And steward is sort of another word for servant in a sense. The one who cares for what has been entrusted to that person. In the next uh, within the next month, actually in a couple of weeks, you're going to be receiving an envelope in the mail. And it's going to contain our annual stewardship or rather our pledge drive information. And we want to make a real distinction between the fact that Stewardship is something that we deal with all year long in many different ways. Our stewardship of the environment, our stewardship of our time and our talent. But every year we have a pledge campaign that helps us to open the doors of the church, essentially, and to enable all the ministries that go on here. And after you receive that, I hope you will read it carefully. You will think about it, pray about it. And then on October 15th, we're going to have an in-gathering of all of our pledges, but I want you to know something that you may not think is true or you may not have thought of. It's a tremendous privilege for me to be able to ask you to write a check to Trinity Church. And the reason it's a privilege is because it does a number of things. First of all, it recognizes that I value what this is, what our life together is. It also invites you to reconsider your servanthood and how you're living your life. It's a wonderful opportunity to sit down with a family budget, open the checkbook, look at the places that you're spending your money and ask yourself, does that reflect... My servanthood does that reflect my life in Christ? Is that where I where I place the importance of my life? It truly helps to reassess that periodically. And once a year, as we think about our pledge to the church is a perfect time to do it. And then I would ask you to consider what percent, what part of all that you receive you give back. And that's an extremely important question. Because it is in giving. That we find our joy. It is in giving that we receive the most actually. It is in giving. That we give thanks to God. For all that God has given to us. And it's especially important. That we all recognize. That we're all able to give. In different ways. According to how we've been given. Only you. determine what that is and what is right for you and as you do that i ask you to do one more thing i ask you to think about what number would i put on my check that would give my heart joy what would make me happy to write that check to trinity and to write the check to that charity that's so important to me. To write the check or to be engaged in my life, in the work of this town, in places that this town needs to be engaged, or the town that you live in. To think about those things that truly bring you joy because you're giving of yourself in a way that is free and entirely unencumbered. God calls us to be servants. To be joyful servants and part of the joy that we receive in being servants and bound to the master is the joy of giving freely of all of our life. My prayer for you and my prayer for myself and for Lou is that as we think about this pledge campaign, we think about it in terms of our lives, our lives as servants of God doing God's work in this place. And beyond those doors. And giving thanks to God. For all that God has bestowed upon us. Amen. Amen.